Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And we've got another busy show in store. The Ashes will go ahead this winter, and England have picked a 17 man squad for the tour. We'll discuss that and hear from head coach Chris Silverwood. Robert Craddock joins us live from Brisbane to give us an Australian perspective, and the T20 World Cup starts this week. We'll speak live to Scotland head coach Shane Berger and hear from England's Chris Wokes. Plenty to fit into the next hour. This is the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. Army, let's begin then with the Ashes and the announcement of the squad. I suppose the biggest surprise for me anyway was that there weren't any surprises. I mean, there are talking points, but <laughs> you know what? It was conservative. Yeah, conservative. I think there was a lot of to and fro in, back and forward, trying to get as much reassurance as you possibly could like that could be given from Chris uh, from Cricket Australia uh, and I'm, I'm honestly managed I'm just so pleased that everybody's going so pleased there's no talking points of people ducking out and as their careers on the line and all all that nonsense that would have come if if somebody had pulled out and I think the the biggest the biggest one I've done a surprise but the, the biggest one was rumored that it was it was going to be Joss Butler and I'm really pleased that Joss is going uh, I've been his, one of his biggest critics at times, but Josh Goggs is vice captain. He's going to be so important for Joe Root. And again, said this many times on the Critic Collective over the year, the level of admiration I've got for Joe Root's just gone through the roof even more because the way he's led his group through his ground and, and basically said, right, we want more information. We're not going to just going to come over because you tell us, you know, we want to know everything about and we make a decision and we are coming with a strong side. And I think, from that point of view, I think it's fantastic for England. Is there surprises in non-selections? Yes, there's one or two, but there's going to be more than just the 17-man squad out there. There's going to be a Lions trip out there as well. So there's going to be a lot of players from England's point of view in Australia to choose from. Um, and at this moment in time, I think England have gone loyalty towards the ones that have done them well so far during the pandemic. And um, we'll see what happens close at the time. We'll talk about some of those individuals in just a moment, but endorsing what you said uh, a second ago, Chris Silverwood has said on a number of occasions since the squad was announced that Joe Root's leadership has been inspirational, that his duty of care shown to his players and indeed to the members of staff um, has, uh, well, he didn't say exceeded all expectations, um, but, you know, he just said it was, he was an inspiration um, throughout the discussions with Cricket Australia um, and this is Silverwood on the fact that the Ashes are going ahead. 
that's one of the exciting things about it as well, but it's, you know what I mean? It's an iconic series that, you know I mean? Every young cricketer growing up wants to play in it. And as a coach, they want to coach in it. And I think it's massively exciting that actually, you know I mean, this series is, is going ahead. We're at the point where, you know I mean, everybody's committed and we're all going. And I think, you know I mean, the mindset now will shift towards performance. We spoke about Joe Root just taking over as captain for just over four years ago and the way he has grown into the role into the leadership in every aspect has uh, certainly exceeded my expectations. He has been an inspiration. Um, it's actually really important to, important to emphasise that there will be a Lions tour running concurrently. I don't know, none of us know, how difficult it will be to perform a bubble-to-bubble transfer. Let's say England decide that they do actually want Saqib Mahmood or Bryden Cass. I'm assuming they're going to be in the Lions squad. Maybe I shouldn't assume that then if, if it's easy to transfer a player in the event of loss of form or, or injury, then actually Chris Silverwood's going to have about a 32-man squad to pick from. Yeah, and I think that was the, that's the important thing, that there are we were expecting a big squad, a huge squad, because of, of COVID and everything that goes with you know, touring these days now uh, under you know, the restrictions of getting people from you know, country to country. Um, but... And with them going with a 17-man squad tells you that the transfer is not going to tick, is not going to be that uh, difficult, I would have thought. If England were going to have issues, i.e. Uh, like in India when you know they send people home and bringing people out and Sam Curran didn't come out for the fourth test match because logistically it, was just a, it would have been a nightmare. I think because they've picked the 17-man squad, this is telling me that the, the selectors are quite confident that they can get somebody from outside the bubble, into the bubble very, very quickly. And, you know, two names you mentioned there. I was surprised that Mahmoud or Kars wasn't in the initial 17. Livingston, another one who you could have possibly had picked into, the, into that group. I know one thing for sure, that in, during the warm-up games, when England air play England, if Brandon Kars starts knocking batsmen over and Liam Livingston starts belting Broad, Anderson, Wood and, and Robinson around wherever the World Games are, they'll quickly be jettisoned into the squad. So there's no doubt about that whatsoever. I just think they're being loyal. I think you can see what England's game plan is going to be. We're going to try and bore Australia out. Yeah, and we're going to you know, bowl one side of the wicket. We're not going to give anything to hit. We're going to bowl, have bowlers who uh, know their discipline, know their job. Um, and we're, we're going to go down this game plan. And I think they'll use Mark Wood as a, as, a, as the different option, but because of only having Wood in there, you know, they're going to have to be careful on how they're using because I'm not sure Mark will play five Test matches, especially the way the, the, the series is, is 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 lined up. So I think they're going to have to be they're going to have to be careful on how they use their their sort of star fast man. So it's going to be intriguing. I didn't see any you know, any anything that worries me. I can see England going over there and playing four seamers, six, seven batsmen and playing four out-and-out seamers and using Mark Wood when they see fit that we need a little bit of, of pace injection. But I think they'll bowl one side of the wicket and they'll try and bowl Australia out. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering whether that has any chance of uh, being successful. Let's talk about England's top three then. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, it will be Burns, Hamid and Milan, one, two and three. But I just have this sense that that perhaps it's time for Ollie Pope to to be given that number three spot. Um, 
and you know, even if that means, well, I don't know, Milan opening um, perhaps, but you know, he, he's such a talent. He is still only 23 years old, but he averages 32 from 20 test matches. And I think some of that is down to the fact that he's had to bat number six. And it's just maybe time for, for Ollie Pope to come of age and, and to show the world just what a talent he is. Yeah, I'd like to see him bat. I would like to see him in the team more than anything else, rather than you know, batting, batting higher is a natural progression. We see him as this young man, uh, he's, he's this young lad who's emerging into a test career. Well, at some point you've got to you know, fulfil and start starting leading by example. When you've when you met the test matches number he's played, He's, he's getting to that point now where he, he's, he's going to be somebody that's going to take some responsibility. Um, and yes, I'd like to see him go a little bit higher. The only place he can go is three. I don't see him opening the baton. Uh, I can see Crawley possibly coming in and playing instead of Hamid. I, I see England, I think England see that Crawley more suited playing on the bouncier wickets um, rather than, than Hamid's slow hands. Crawley might go at the ball a bit more and try and put the bowlers back foot a little bit rather than, you know, which will take pressure off the top, you know, the, the top three uh, of England if they are scoring as well as, you know, as well as looking solid. But Ollie Pope, you're right. I don't think he was playing at Manchester and that would have been a huge surprise for me. I don't think he was playing. I think Bairstow was playing. Butler was coming back after the birth of his second child and I, I think Pope was going to miss out. So where that leaves him, going forward um who knows but i would love to see him bat a little bit higher possibly number three let's talk dom sibley for a moment i mean a year ago we dinked him in for the ashes squad and you know he just seemed to be the answer he got a couple of test hundreds and and now uh, not in the squad no central contract he's been tossed aside yeah he has and i'm surprised he's not over there well we don't know he probably will be over there with the lions I'd be very surprised if he's not over there with, with the Lions. But England's problems, one, two, and three, have been so dramatic in the last two, three, four years that it's a problem place to bat. And you would think Australia might suit him, the ball coming onto the bat a little bit more, not getting vulnerable sort of in and around the top of off stump because that's, you know, for, for somebody his size, that's, that's got to be really, really full. But when he has scored runs, he scored them at such a slow rate, he's put... He's put the the team under pressure. I just it might just be a case of leaving him to one side for a little bit, get his head back into playing first class cricket, and try and get his test spot back when the summer starts, rather than putting him into a, a goldfish bowl like the Ashes when you're under pressure and uh, never really it never really goes away. So he's a good player. Don't score t- don't score test hundreds if you're not a good player. And I just think he needs to. And you work on his game a little bit when he's playing against international bowlers as opposed to playing first-class bowlers because they're a lot more accurate, they're a lot better, um, and they put you under you know, immense pressure. And unfortunately for Dom, he hasn't he hasn't been able to leave the pressure enough to get himself a start and then go on and score a big score. Finally, in this section on the Ashes squad, um, the absence of Sam Curran, he's got a stress factor at the back. Is that a big factor for you? And 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 finally, on the subject of all-rounders. So Chris Silverwood did say that uh, he was leaving the door open for Ben Stokes. Um, he hasn't obviously played cricket since uh, since June, July. So, I mean, it'll be hard for him to get match fitness. But is there any chance at all that uh, that Ben might might join the squad maybe after Christmas? 
No, I'd be surprised. I'd be very, very surprised. Um, I wouldn't advise it if I was advising Ben. I'd leave him to the start of the summer, start the season with Durham, go on pre-season with Durham, drip feed him back in through the first-class system and be ready for when the international summer comes about. Um, that would be my advice towards Ben. As much as I want Ben to play in the World T20 final, I want him to play in the in the um, in the Ashes. I just think there's there's some things more important. And what Ben's been going through is you know, much more important than than any Ashes or any T20 competition. I just think he just drip feeds in back, you know, home surroundings, play at Durham, score a few runs, take a few wickets in the, at the start of the next summer. Um, and if he's ready to come back and play then, then fantastic. If he's not, you just have to give him as much time as he needs because you know he's 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 overcoming. He's not coming back from injury. He's coming back from a from an illness that is. It's very, very difficult for people to understand. Final word from Chris Silverwood on the strategy. England can win, he says, with uh, despite only having one 90-mile-an-hour bowler in Mark Wood. I think the one thing that we have got in, you know what I mean, the bowling attack is supreme accuracy and bringing the stumps into play time and time and time again. So as, as I said to you, we watched, you know I mean, how India performed in Australia. We try and learn lessons off them all the time. I'm very curious as are my bowling attack. So what we'll be doing is, is, is looking back over the plans that India used and adapting any of us to what our bowling attack is. You know, I mean, how do we get the best out of the bowling attack we have got rather than worrying about what we haven't got because there's nothing we can do about that. It's a bit pointless. Um, so we'll be using the skills we have in the best possible way. And I do believe that we can make it work. But time now, as promised, to see how Australia is shaping up for the tour. And I'm delighted that uh, cricket writer... Robert Craddock joins us from the Brisbane Courier-Mail, from Brisbane. Um, Crash, many thanks for your time once again. First of all, your impressions of uh, England's squad? Solid, a, a touch conservative manners. Look, there was, you'd rate almost the batting 6 out of 10, the bowling 6 out of 10, but the scare factor is not there. You know, had there been a Stokes or an Archer, let's face it, it it's a different shape and a different vibe, isn't it? There's... With a whole heap of batsmen averaging 36 or less in first-class cricket, Joe Root apart, of course. We all accept he's a, a global star. Uh, just, you know what? It, it, it's I was pleased everyone made themselves available, but they've got some scrambling to do, I reckon, if they're going to win this series, given they start half a test behind by not holding the Ashes. Normally, when England come to Australia, they hold the Ashes. So you've got to finish one test ahead of them. This time, Australia are half a test ahead, effectively. Crash, where is Australia at this moment in time on that front? Because, you know, trying to get Sheffield Shield, trying to get some game time, in, especially into the bowlers, they could be having question marks about their side as well. Yeah, th this is it, Harmy. And, and, and this is where there's a chance for England to jump Australia early. The Gabba Fortress, after 33 years of being unbeaten, was cracked by India last summer. And the next test will be at the Gabba. And Australia has only played four tests during the pandemic. The Shield competition is all over the shop. Tasmania and Australia uh, and Queensland had to rush off to South Australia to play a match on an average wicket the other day. They will be soft in that first test and they'll be as vulnerable as anywhere in the series. And if you can put something on the board, say a Joe Root century first day and a first innings total of 360, 380, you know, you're so in the game because there are question marks over Australia. David Warner getting on, 
sure you've got Labuschagne and Smith, but there's some there's some gaps in that top order. So it's a contest between two slightly imperfect teams, I reckon. And what about the uh, what about the the, the structure of, of of going off? You know, just to take the cricket out of it one side a little bit, the structure of how the tour is going to be conducted because. You know, there's still a lot of politics going on in Australia, and how has how has the Ashes squad been announced helped with the Australian people and the government, most importantly, to to give us a reassurance that we will get through all five Test matches in the states that they're in. I heard something today that really surprised me, Steve, and I'll tell you what it was. It was Nick Hockley saying he's extremely confident they can play the last Test in Perth in a bubble. That was the one that worried me. The first two tests, Brisbane or Adelaide, are in pretty clean states. They'll just happen. Then they go into the more treacherous territory of Melbourne and Sydney, who will have the border open between them, and, and that they should sort of be able to massage those two tests through. But then the hard one comes, Perth, with the hard border. But Nick Hockley is confident. He said, we worked with the West Australian government last year, and we think we can do it again. I, I was... And he said, we even think we can get families in. So, wow, uh, it's it would be... I, I've been saying for weeks there's no chance that all five tests will be played in all five venues. And really, who would know? Uh, today's truth could be tomorrow's lie, but I was very uh, interested in Nick Hockley saying he thinks he can get Perth in because that was the big query run. Even Perth officials had all but written it off. Crash, um, the... Our assurances that, that have been given to the ECB and to Joe Root and to the England players, but they seem to be assurances from Cricket Australia rather than the states uh, or the federal government. Are, are you sympathetic to the England players' concerns about the level of uncertainty and unpredictability about the, you were talking about hard border close, closures and, and that kind of thing? I mean, you know, the idea that that suddenly South Australia or, or Western Australia might say, right, that's it. We've had another dozen cases. No one's coming in. No one's going out. You can't have the test match. I don't care. Do you know what, Manners? The word that's been used in a lot of those meetings between Cricket Australia and the English players is likely. They can't actually put things in cement because they're saying it is likely you can quarantine at the Gold Coast and have be out, allowed out of hard quarantine for training and even to move around the resort. But the guarantees just fall short for a couple of reasons. One, because things can change. And it's tricky because every state has different rules. And that's what makes it so hard. That's why Cricket Australia sort of has to speak on behalf of everyone because you can't have six different voices telling telling uh, England, you know, what what's the rules in their state. So it's complex. It's difficult. I can understand England's concern. But here's the bottom line. When England do arrive here, they will be pleasantly surprised by the conditions under which they play under. That Their quarantine conditions and their general conditions around the team hotel aren't too bad, all things considered. But we do accept that England's played 18 tests in the pandemic and Australia has only played four so it's very wrong to, for Australia to get on their high horse and tell people, you know what I mean, suck it up. Chris Silverwood said that England's bowlers uh, and that strategy could learn from India and that extremely persistent line and length uh, can be successful, which sounds to me like a recipe for uh, for lots and lots of runs for, for Smith and Labashain. Um 
And secondly, I, I this is the completely opposite end of the scale. I described last week Australia's white ball team as, well, I think I might have said the worst for 20 years, but let, let me rephrase that and say the least intimidating for, for the last 20 years. I mean, in 50 over and 20 over cricket. So, so go on the Ashes bowling tactics and then give us your view of Australia's current white ball squad. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the discipline of the Indian bowlers really wore Australia down. However, you've got to be good. You, 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 you've got to be good, I think. You know, you can bowl straight and pack that leg side, and if they miss, you hit, you can get them LBW. It, it's, it's not a bad tactic. It, it is not a bad tactic, but you've got to be pretty precise about your work. I like when England come out here with a bowler, with like a, a, a Chris Tremlett who did well out here with a bit of bounce and, and maybe Ollie Robinson is that guy. You know, maybe he is. But we all know in Australia that you've got to, that once the shine comes off the Kookaburra ball and bowlers aren't getting much reverse swing these days, it's a real war of attrition out here. The second one, you're right about Australia's white ball team. Australia is currently ranked seventh in the world, man. This is in... T20 cricket and Bangladesh is sixth. So they've just, they seem to feel the different side every match. All the players lack confidence and there's no finishes in the middle order. There's no, you know, remember you used to be able to rattle off the Australian team in T20. You, you know, who's playing today? Who knows? So it's a really good point you make. Individually, hey, there's talent there. You go through them. Stark, Warner, Smith, these sort of guys, you know, but, uh, yeah, collectively, they've never really cracked the T20 code. You're right. And you, you mentioned the, the T20 team and you know, the indifference in it. We're going to go the Ashes test match team. Are Australia glad to have any surprises? Or are they going to stay with the tried and tested who have, who have performed for Australia in the recent past? Because, like you said, they've only played four test matches during this last 18 months. So is there somebody coming out left field that we don't know about from Australia's point of view? Yeah, there's a couple of places up for grabs in the top order. Will Pukowski may not play, so there's an opening spot. And that could go anywhere, really. And in the middle order, there's also another spot, Steve. I think the bowlers, you know, are pretty well established. Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon, uh, it's maybe Swepson beyond that. But uh, the guy who I think would have a terrific summer is Cameron Green. Mm. O- honestly, that kid is a star. He's the tallest batsman to ever play for Australia. And I, I just, he's just got a bit of magic about him. Still hasn't taken a test wicket, but as a batsman, he's averaging over 50. And he's lengths ahead of it, all these other young players. So he's the player I'm watching really closely. And Steve, here's a, there's suggestions that Warner in his mid-30s is an opening batsman. He's played a lot of cricket that England will go so hard at him. And if you crack Warner, it's funny, there's this pattern. You can crack Australia. And you must have seen opening batsmen in their mid-30s and thought, oh, he's just a bit behind the ball, this guy. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But he's still a fantastic player for me, Warner. He's still a a top, top international player. Um, But I'm a bit like you. uh, When you mentioned earlier on, you said England's a batten's a 6 out of 10. uh, Bowling's a 6 out of 10. Australia, I look at Australia and I think Australia to be got at. For the first time in a long time, I think in in Australia, England, if they score runs, they've got a chance mm. of of really making something out of this out of this series. And for that reason alone, the top order, you know, if you can knock Warner over, 
I think that sends a powerful message into the dressing room. If Warner had a, a summer like he had in England a few years ago against Broad, then I think England do stand a chance. So, But I still think Australia will pick him. Just very, very quickly, Crash, Tim Payne is playing the larrikin. Uh, he's bantering with the Barmy Army. Is it tactics or has he lost the plot? He, he Now, he's got a different personality to any Australian captain I've ever seen in that he doesn't take himself or the game outrageously seriously. He does when he's captaining Australia, but he's got this whimsical sense of humour that he quite likes stirring the pot a bit. And he's been, remember, of course, he's in a position he never thought he'd get to. He was out of the game. He was gone. And suddenly he's living the dream. And he's just, I can understand it from England's point of view that they would be annoyed by his little chirps. And even in Cricket Australia... They're privately saying, oh, I wish he'd have waited until he retired, until he started a radio gig. Yeah. But there's a part of me that's quite enjoying it because it's just a bit different. And it's that's the real guy. I know uh, people who know him far better than me have said he's always had that cheeky sort of larrikin side to him. It comes across when he's in the field. And um, people are on to him. You know, he drops a stray sentence here and he cops it and, I love that Ashes band of manners. Like I just think it's, you know, I hope the Barmy Army give it to Australia from 30,000 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your time, Crash. It's always a great pleasure to talk to you. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. See ya. And a reminder, the Ashes will get underway on December the 8th at the Gabba in Brisbane. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll hear from Chris Wokes, but next we'll speak live to Scotland head coach Shane Berger in Oman. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl and Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to boll today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Time now, as promised, to hear from England all-rounder Chris Wokes. I certainly hadn't given up, John, but at the same time, I kind of thought that maybe... Yeah, that ship potentially had sailed. 
you know, as I've just touched on previously, I think it has benefited the fact that I've then gone on to play, um, you know, over 100 ODIs and, and 39 test matches, I think it is. But yeah, I'd you know, be lying to think that I probably didn't think I was going to get another go. Um, I certainly hope that I might potentially get another go, you know, when that ever that was. So, you know, I wasn't thinking of retiring from that format. But yeah, I certainly probably thought that, you know, that might have, um, have moved on from potentially going back to me. So um, obviously delighted to be sat here, potentially opportunity to, to have another go at a World Cup. I think, you know, a lot of the guys have been playing T20 cricket around the world and, and you know, more recently uh, in the IPL as well. Just obviously really helpful for, for the guys that have been doing that. Um, they will share a lot of thoughts and a lot of experience coming out of that tournament, which is great to have. Um, you know, we're going to have a hell of a lot of practice between now and the first game against the West Indies, um, as you touched on. I think we've got a lot. We'll obviously have some scenario practice and, and almost kind of games between ourselves and practice. So I think there's plenty there for us to get ready. And, you know, T20 cricket is, I mean, it's not pot luck by any means, but of course you need to have a little bit of room the green as well. I'm delighted to say now, as promised, that we're joined live by Scotland head coach Shane Berger, from Dubai, I believe. You've been playing a, a couple of warm-up games in Oman and you go back to Oman on Sunday for your opening game. Shane, how's, um, how's preparations? How, how's it going? Yeah, very good. Thank you, gents, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it and, uh, and speak more about Scottish cricket. Yeah, we, we thoroughly um, in time so far within Oman and back in Dubai and, and being in the heat is as, as, as a little bit different in Scotland, that's for sure. Uh, but we, we really excited the group. Um, the group has worked incredibly hard over a very, very long period of time now, not just the last 18 months, you know, but for about 20 years, we really have been looking forward to this World Cup and, and thinking about how we were going to go. So, so it's not like World Cup for many of these players. You know, many of them would have played in the World Cup before. They know what it's about. Um, and obviously the nerves and the excitement of that will, will be there, no doubt. But this is, this is what we work for our whole, our whole careers to, to get to where we are now. Cricket at associate level has improved I mean, exponentially over the, the last uh, decade or so, but there's still a lot more that could be done. I mean, there is now a structure that uh, gives you the opportunity to strive to get in, into uh, World Cups. Um, but, you know, I still get the sense that you could play an awful lot more international cricket. That's for sure. I mean, it's, it's not just about more cricket, you know, it's building... It's, it's about building our own systems and making sure that the next generation of Scottish cricketers have got the absolute best platform to, to get out on the international scene and perform. But I know looking at the talent within the squad and the setup that we have in Scotland, you know, given more opportunity, more quality opposition um, to play against and, um, and with more, more resources, there's no doubt that we could want to do bigger and better things, that's for sure. Well, Shane, what about the aspirations for, for your group? Because do you, do you look at Scotland trying to get out of the, the group, which is natural, I know you want to win every game, but you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Scotland in the last month, and it's amazing how many people have mentioned about how much they love cricket. And if this gets, if you get out of the group and potentially get an England's group or one of the big boys' groups, you know, what does that do for, what does that do for Scottish cricket? Yeah, it's massive for Scottish cricket, you know, we, this is your opportunity to actually show the rest of the world what, what we're about, you know, and this is just about this World Cup. There's another World Cup next year, and it's about the next generation of Scottish cricketers what, through the system. You know, what, what platform are we providing to show them that actually they can bigger and better things within cricket and within world cricket, you know, and actually make a career out the game? 
they, um, you know, not many people know it, but there's a lot of cricket that is played with it. And with all the challenges, whether that's weather, finances, resources, you know, we still a good show and we still have managed to produce, you know, some world-class cricketers with this, this environment. Two of our lads have, have been playing county cricket and have had really good seasons. Brett involved in the 100. Kyle Kutz has had a, had a fantastic career. He, he would have played with Kyle in Durham. And, um, and there's some really good names on the team sheet, Harmi, and it's about the guys just going and, and playing the sort of cricket we know we can play. Um, there's no guarantees, but we know if we stick to the sort of cricket we can play, we really can go out and, and show the rest of the world what Scottish cricket is all about. How much are you going to need your captain to stand up? Because, you know, from, a, from an experienced point of view, Kyle's, Kyle's played a lot of cricket now, and um, Scotland are going to need their captain to deliver. Yeah, there's no doubt we're a better team when Kyle's playing good cricket. It's always good for your captain to lead from the front through performance. Kyle certainly has done that in the past. He's actually hitting the ball really well in the nets at the moment. So we, we're expecting a lot of things from Kyle. Look, he, he's had loads of experiences in terms of World Cups. Um, and he really understands what associate cricket is all about. He understands the pressures of winning every single game. And for, for him to acknowledge through, in, through a... An experienced group of players, but a few of the younger lads who are going around is massive. But in terms of his leadership, he's a great leader, and um, and and we're still expecting bigger and better things. Well, he's uh, he's evergreen, and and what the joke around is is the pandemic has probably put another two or three years onto his career, you know, and and hopefully for many others. Shane, in the unlikely event that Scotland don't reach the semi-finals. Who, who are you tipping? Uh, who, who are your big four? Do you think the favourites are? It's a really good question. You know, T20 cricket nowadays, it's, um, you know, any team on a given day can win it. You know, I really, I think in these conditions in the UAE, with the extreme heat, we've noticed that the wickets and the ball, they get a little bit tougher to score. So, so we've been looking to a bit of that. And to give you an answer to your question, I really fancy a team like the West Indies who, who have extreme power right through their batting you look at a team like Afghanistan, who play in conditions like this a hell of a lot of the time, you know. And then you can't throw out England, I mean, Pakistan, who arrive on, on any given day. And look, I'd like to throw Scotland's name in the hat. I know what, I know what we have in our ranks. We've got to get through that first group. We believe that we can not only get through that first group, we also can go in on and mix it with the big boys. And um, we know we're also going to have to play our best cricket to do that, there's no getting away from that. We're playing against good players, good teams who have um, who have pulled and played in various other events and everything else. But we certainly know that that uh, that us as Scott standing back for anyone, that's for sure. Shane, very best of luck. I tell you what, that opening game against Bangladesh is going to be a cracker. I mean, you win that one, then uh, you've got Oman and Papua New Guinea. You've already beaten Papua New Guinea a couple of days ago, so uh, you 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 know you you try and. I was going to say catch Bangladesh cold, but that's going to be hard to do in 38 <laughs> degrees. But yeah, at least you've been playing cricket. Yeah, we have. We have. We're very lucky that we were in Amman just ago. So we, we have acclimatised. We know those conditions really well. Look, we, we highly Bangladesh, and uh, I know a few members of that coaching staff will make sure that they don't leave any stone left on just beat in Australia. But hey, there's no reason Scotland can't go and beat Bangladesh. We've beaten England. We've beaten previously so we we know we can mix it with the big boys and um and anything can happen in cricket you know you just need just need the bounce of the ball to go your way one person or two two guys to stick um and and we can get over the line final question um there are some household names in the scotland team but give us a couple to look out for that may be less familiar 
Yeah, they're, they're your usuals, your Kyles, your Richie Barrington, who's, who's been in fantastic form, his experience and the way he moves around in the field. He's just a fantastic role model to every player out there. And there's various others that we also know that can stick their hands up. I've spoken about the Seam Attack, someone like Ali Evans, who, you know, he's been around for a long period of time. So very, very blessed to have these, these, these really good and experienced players within our system. We've just got to make sure that we... We bring out the very best of them over the next month. I've kept saying it. If we peak at the right time, if, you know, then you're in the mixer. Very best of luck, Shane. And uh, many thanks for your time. We'll be watching on Sunday with a keen eye. Thank you very much, lads. All the best. We'll finish the show by giving our final thoughts on the T20 World Cup. But it's time now for the Breaking Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Delighted to say that uh, we're joined, as always, by David Smith. Lots to talk about, uh, David, Um, but we've got October half-term coming up. Yeah, no, it's an incredibly busy time for us, actually. We've got lots to look forward to as well with our first... uh, first camp taking place in London, which we're all really excited about at uh, Datchet Cricket Club. So, so yeah, no, it's a big, big uh, gearing up for a really exciting half term. And, you know, you mentioned about the half term. You're going to have um, T20 World Cup on a decent time on TV. You know, you're going to be getting the kids involved, watching that and trying to get them to clear ramp shots and scoop shots and everything that comes with the new format of cricket. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about fun and, uh, you know, try and get the the children to watch their heroes on TV and then try and, you know, recreate what they're doing on TV at our camps. So that's absolutely what we what we try and do. It's so important that the children have got those role models to look up to. And you mentioned the the camp in London, you're expanding. You know, how exciting is that? Tell us more about what you're trying to do and trying to promote this great game around the country. Yeah, absolutely. The Institute of Cricket was built to try and get more players, you know, taking cricket seriously at that that higher end level um, and, you know, looking for players all over the country to to work hard and look to become professional cricketers. That's that's our aim. So to be able to take that product further afield uh, and certainly into London is, is very exciting for us. It'll be the first ever uh, coaching sessions that we've run in the London based area before. So we're, we're really excited and looking forward to getting going. David, I know I've asked you this question before, but I'm I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with the notion of of how much coaching has changed or has to change with with T20 cricket. Um, I mean, that's what the kids are watching. Um, they're seeing their stars, they, the heroes, um, becoming more and more innovative and, and creative. Um, and I guess they want to the kids kids want to to replicate that to copy their, their heroes, do you, do you still have to focus as much on the basics before they can play trick shots or, or do they, is it just going straight into the ramps? Uh, you have to have the basics first. You can't just go straight in, into the ramps. Um, I mean, I, I took, my, took my daughter to a tennis session on, on Sunday and they were teaching her to serve and she's only four years of age. So, you know, you sort of correlate that back to cricket of looking at the ramp shot first before you look at the basics. So, you know, it doesn't really work. You have to have solid foundations first before moving on. But, you know, naturally the children see it on TV and they want to try and copy it. So you're not going to stop them from doing it. But in order for them to be successful at doing it, they have to have the basics in line first. And where do we get the, the, the information for the Institute, Institute of Cricket? So it's all on our website, instituteofcricket.com. All the information regarding our camps this half term is all on there. And, uh, and yeah, really looking forward to a real busy half term. So look forward to seeing you soon. 
That was the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Harmy, we've got a couple of minutes left before the end of the show. Um, we discussed our, our favourites or, or who we thought would finish in the top four last week. Um, I'll find out from you in a moment whether you've changed your mind at all or what news has caught your eye. I, I wanted to ask you about the format, first of all, because um, that's something we didn't talk about last week. 16 teams with uh, the eight associate nations going head-to-head in order for four of them to join the main teams. Does that work for you? Are you happy with that structure? Yeah, I think it's. I think that's a better structure for me. I think it's a better structure that you take in. The associate teams are getting. They're not getting beat heavily off the, the you know the, the big boys, shall we say? Um, but they're also giving them a chance to get in with the big boys, so the best ones will come through, and it gives them a chance to hit the ground running when the tournament does start because I've played a few games before that. So yeah, I'm all for that. I think that'll be that that that's great, um, and. Yeah, from there you're looking at year one. So it's either you would have thought Sri Lanka or you like Namibia yep. to probably get into England's group. So that would be you know one of the you know the big ones to get into that. And I still think Scotland have got a Scotland have got an outside chance of of getting in and getting in through the side door in in, in the other group as well. So look, I think the the yeah, the associated nations are there because this is the right thing for for cricket. I think the format, I like the format a lot better than having having a lot of associated nations in the tournament getting whipped by everybody. Um, I don't think that does them any good. I don't think it does cricket any good. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the pitches go because, you know, we're coming at the back of the IPL. You know, we're going to have a tournament, pitches which have been played on a, a, a lot over the last sort of four or five weeks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the teams line up where when it comes to their spin department because I look at England and I think England have got two very, very, very good challenging and uh, controlling spinners when it comes to T20 format in Moen Ali and, and Adil Rashid. So that might suit England a lot better. What's the capital of Papua New Guinea? Oh, capital of Papua New Guinea. No idea whatsoever. All I know was Garrett Jones used to play for them. That was yes. it. So <laughs> Garrett Jones had a game for them. Um, and I tell you what, I, I, I can't remember why I was out there, but I was. we were out in the middle. I'm sure it must have been like the um, the Champions game we talked about, the MCC against the Champions, which is Durham a few years ago. We were in Abu Dhabi. And Papua New Guinea were playing in a tournament at the same time. Garant was playing for Papua New Guinea. I tell you what, what a fun time these lads had. They were enjoying themselves. They were on a stag trip. They were they were having a really good time, enjoying each other's success because we're doing well in their company. And, you know, I'm pleased that the emerging nations are in the tournament. Um, and the way the format has gone, I think it, it works best for everybody. I love it. I mean, the answer, unless it's changed, I think is Port Moresby. Um, but I, I just love the fact that, that Papua New Guinea are in the tournament. I mean, I, a lot of people are saying Papua New Guinea, but they actually have a, a long established and quite a rich cricketing tradition. As you say, Geraint Jones was born there, which en- enables him to, to play for them. And he did play a number of games for them after he'd retired. From, well, I was going to say retired from international cricket, but he was still playing international cricket for, for, uh, for, for Papua New Guinea. So, I mean, that's great. What about DRS? It's being used... For the first time, I think it, I find it quite bizarre. I mean, it was five years ago that we had the last uh, T20 World Cup. 
but I think it's I feel it's quite bizarre to think that there was no DRS in no. in the last T20 World Cup. We're so used to it now, um, and and interestingly, the ICC have announced that there will be two reviews per team per innings. Uh, it, it used to be, um, or I think in domestic cricket, it was only one for T20 cricket. But but anyway, DRS good thing. Yeah, positive. Getting the right results is is what it's all about. I just think, how long is these games going to last if there's four reviews for DRS and trying to make your time up and trying to get it done in an hour and a half? It's just not going to happen. So, look, anything that makes the game better, get the right results, um, right decision, I think that can only be a positive for the game. So, it is, it's good for me. Um, I look at my tournament favourites. I still think it's the same ones. Interesting to hear a couple of Pakistan players talk about the game against India and saying what a fantastic occasion it's going to be when Pakistan play India. But there was one or two of them said, we're looking forward to the New Zealand game as well after they went home on us. So I think there could be some uh, some scores settled on the field as well as some, uh, as it's been mudslinging off the field. But I just think it's going to be a fantastic tournament. So your your top four, just remind me, India, England, New Zealand, Pakistan. And pa- top four? Pakistan. Just Pakistan because they're playing. All their players are playing T20 cricket at this minute in time in their domestic league. You know, you follow it on social media, you follow anybody, journalists from a from Pakistan region, they're putting videos of, of Pakistan's domestic and there's some good there's some good cricket being played. Babar Azams, he was in fine form. Shashane Afridi's in good touch as well with the ball. I think they could just come on the blind side and, and be a force in this tournament with you know, only really Pakistan, India, you know, the IPL players have been playing. I think it could be uh, it could be a spicy affair if them two get to the semi-final or potentially get to the final. And uh, have you thought about who emerges from the qualifying group? I've got Sri Lanka and Namibia at the expense of Holland and Ireland and Bangladesh and Scotland at the expense of Oman and Papua New Guinea. Yeah, I've gone for Scotland. I think Scotland and Bangladesh. I think the Netherlands might just sneak on the blind side, possibly. But yeah, I'll go with your, your knowledge of Namibian cricket. Um, I'll go with Sri Lanka and Namibia to get through as well. And what a tournament it would be for for these four for them four countries, especially if Namibia and Scotland get there, because obviously the other two are test playing are, are, are test playing nations. But it'll be it'll just make the tournament much much better. And it all gets underway on Sunday with uh, the opening game between Bangladesh and Scotland. Thanks, Harmy. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can, as always, download the podcast via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week, but keep an eye out for more content like this on the following on feed. 